0: Welcome to Coffee U, the only podcast that provides weekly updates and expertise from farm to cup. We practice what we preach and we live what we teach. Let's start elevating your coffee knowledge with your instructors, me, Nathan Parvin, and Brad Haynes, proud president and vice president of Baba Java Coffee. Class is officially in session.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Coffee U. I'm your host, Brad Haynes, VP of Operations at Baba Java Coffee. And today we have uh, an exciting guest with us, all the way from Thailand. Uh, it's Josh Jagelman, Managing Director of Unine Coffee Traders. We're excited to have him on. Welcome, Josh. So as we said in previous podcasts, we want to get some people on who are smarter than us and more experienced than us in coffee. And um, Josh is doing some great things um, with coffee farmers in China. So we wanted to bring him on just to give us an idea of what coffee was like over there in the Far East and how he got into it. So Josh, why don't you start with um, just a little bit about your personal coffee story, how you got into specialty coffee and what took you to um, Yunnan?
0: yeah, for sure. Uh, well, my, my wife was actually working in China uh, for many years and uh, she doing a project there with the local health department. And when that project finished, we kind of fell in love with the country and were looking for ways to stay there. Uh, I thought about doing tea. Um, but let's face it, who's going to buy tea from a white guy in China.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> That's funny.
0: And so, uh, and so coffee also you know, looks similar kind of environment. Um, so we looked at doing doing coffee and uh, Nestle, some of the other large growers already had established quite a, um, you know, quite a quite a large commercial presence there, and so we thought, hey, why not um, why not try something in the specialty space since uh, since not much was happening.
1: That's really cool. So, what what got you into specialty coffee and like yeah, m- wanting to produce that? specifically
0: sure well i uh am a part of a team and so i'd say we absolutely have people who are coffee guys coffee girls yeah i myself probably more identify as a business guy that that loves coffee
1: okay. um <laughs> that's really
0: fallen in love with the industry so my my initial interests were more just in um you know, how do we do the price mechanics I got you. Uh, around the business and, and financing. Um, but then as, as time went on, um, I got my Q license and SDA certified and I really actually fell in love with um, with the science. With the, you know, Really just at the, at the very beginning of science, especially coffee, there's so much to know and so much to discover. And then the other thing, being kind of a numbers person, I was really fascinated by the different ratios that, that emerge uh, all throughout um, the, the supply chain and the value chain, and, and realizing that a lot of a lot of the lost value wasn't that people were being treated unfairly; it was just that things weren't mm. being done very efficiently. So, right. I was quite fascinated by, by the efficiencies and by the numbers side of things early on. But then as time has gone on, I've just you know fallen in love with coffee itself. So, yeah,
1: <laughs> that's cool. Well, it's it's interesting you say that. So, one thing that we have been talking about on our podcast is ethical sourcing and why that's important. So, when you hear that word. A lot of people think different things when you hear that term "ethical sourcing." What does that mean to you and your team?
0: Uh, definitely a very big question. <laughs> Look, I won't. There's lots of kind of obvious things I think we could say, just about you know treating people fairly and and making sure the environment isn't being damaged and, and paying right. people fair wages. Uh, I think those are you know, probably some of the more common and necessary parts of the answer. Uh, I think for today, I guess I'd like to just encourage you, your listeners to think about um, efficiency uh, yeah. in in, in, the, in the coffee chain. So when I think about things being ethical, I think about a consumer paying a fair price for coffee that's being produced efficiently. And as a producer, I mean, that isn't necessarily a very intuitive thing. It's like, well, these are my costs, so I want to be paid a fair price on top of those costs, right? Absolutely. But actually, if I'm not producing coffee very efficiently, and then you're having to pay a price on top of that that's you know so i can make some margin that's actually not fair to you that's that's unethical for me as a producer to be only producing coffee and then expecting you basically to pay a premium to cover my inefficiency uh so for me a part of the ethics conversation which is really important is just understanding uh efficiencies at the production level and once the efficiencies are tight we actually can demonstrate that our cost of production is reasonable that's when we can start talking about what's a fair price to pay for coffee uh, you know, often, you know, in, in commercial coffee we have the, the, the futures market called the C and people look at look at that and they say, Well if that's what the market's doing, so we'll you know, your specialty so we'll pay you a premium on top of the market. I don't find that particularly helpful because that that price really doesn't have a lot to do with the cost of production. So, for me, yes, it's a very broad question. Lots of things we could say, but in recent times, I've really been focusing on the ethics of efficiency. Uh, how can we produce our coffee efficiently? And then the, pr- then the premium is fair and ethical. But if I'm
1: inefficient in how I'm producing my coffee, then my premium actually is unethical. Uh, you would say that you are producing coffee with excellence. Correct? That's what we aim for. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: every year we discover up a new problems and, and new things that can be done better or things that we're doing well that have fallen over. Yeah. But absolutely. I think, um, I think that you know, quality... I was talking to a friend who's in the nickel. He's a nickel producer and... Mm. Uh, it's quite successful and he just said within there there's a they have a lot of quality control points um in, in the production line and and he was just saying that as long as each of the as long as there is excellence at each of the control points then the product that comes out at the end will mm. be excellent and he was just encouraging me to say there's no point trying to focus on an excellent product if your control points are not excellent so yeah yeah for us um yeah, we've tried, to, we've tried to
1: identify what are the quality control points and produce excellence at, at each of those points. Absolutely. That's great. I, I only say that because kind of our ethos or tagline, whatever you want to call it, is excellence from farm to cup. That's what we're about too is working with people who are doing it with excellence and so that it impacts the supply chain all the way through the process. So kind of give us what life is like uh, on a farm, you know, uh, especially there in China, you probably have some very specific things um, from like once the cough let's let's move past it's being grown because that's a you know there's probably a lot of agricultural details that go into that but so let's start at harvest time what 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 happens at harvest time?
0: Uh, harvest time is the most challenging yeah. time yeah of the year for us not not just because of the hard work that kicks in we, we kind of like hard work, but there's actually a lot of uncertainty around harvest time. Uh, we just don't know if the rains are going to hold off. If they do, that really messes up with our numbers. We don't know what the domestic price of coffee is going to be. China has been experiencing a lot of growth domestically, and that is actually really like uh, agitating um, <laughs> the, the, the cherry price. Um, oh, okay. And so, you know, when the domestic market is 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 really coming in and trying to buy hard um, at the cherry level, then the price goes. Quite, it becomes artificially high and it's, it's uh, that's, that's a challenge because if we buy at that high price and then the local market moves on, there's no way we can sell coffee internationally at, at those prices that we pay gotcha. for the cherry. But at the same time, if we hold off on buying cherries, then uh, we may not have enough volume to meet some of our longer-term contracts, so that's that's always a bit of a challenge. Uh, seasonal workers are, are a challenge. You know, in the Chinese coffee industry, it's you know it's 30, 40 years old now. You're getting you know second, even kind of third generational uh, contact with the coffee. But the, the the younger generations, the parents don't want them to work at coffee. Not, there's not like this legacy, and they want them to continue. They want them to move out of the countryside, move to the city. Get an mm. urban job, get an education. That's uh, so. There's a lot of kind of um, urban migration, and then uh, the seasonal workers. Uh, over the years, you know, some of the seasonal workers may have come from neighbouring regions, but especially with COVID and the lockdowns, there we haven't been able to get those seasonal workers come in. So that's that's always a challenge that emerges every year during harvest time. You know, there's always. Some new technology ever wanting to try out, so there's that sense of excitement. Know what's going to be fun to, to play with this year or experiment with this year. The different yeah. experimentals that we're doing. Uh, sometimes we have nursery, uh, you know, coffees that are ready to go into production. So there's lots of fun stuff as well. That's cool. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's a bit of a snapshot of some of the things that are happening for us.
1: For our listeners, what what is the harvest season? What does that run? What months of the year?
0: So. November through to about March. Okay. So we're just, we're just finishing harvest now. I think pretty much all the coffees are off the trees now.
1: And for you, Nod, you guys, you were talking about buying cherry. Um, so you guys buy the cherry uh, unprocessed, correct? From, from the farmer, and then you guys mill it and depulp it for them, correct?
0: Yes. So we have, that's one of the ways that we source. Okay. Coffee. We have our own farms. Yeah, right. Uh, which okay. Which means we have our own washing station and the, and the villagers will harvest coffee and bring it to the, to the washing station. We also source coffees from neighboring farms, in which case they've already uh, done the, the wet building themselves and then we purchase parts of the coffee from them. But for all of our, business, and we have a couple of uh, micro lots where we actually buy the, the green. So the producer produces the coffee all the way through to green gotcha. and then we'll just purchase that. So, yeah, we're actually purchasing coffee at
1: all stages of production. We're purchasing uh, cherry from our own farms. We're purchasing parchment from our neighbor's farms. And then we're purchasing some green coffee for some of our micro lot programs. That's really cool to hear that you guys are involved, even in the farm level. So, that's really cool to hear. One of our one of our partner other partners in Yemen, uh, his name's Andrew Nicholson. He tells a really interesting story. I'm not going to tell the full story because we'll have him on later. But a cool story about teaching farmers how to harvest better, which... Improved their crop and gave them more weight, therefore more money for their crop. So, for you guys, have you been able to help farmers or incentivize them to improve their product? Say, have a farmer who's not producing specialty, but go in and kind of help him or her uh, improve their crop to make it uh, a specialty coffee.
0: What I what I was kind of mentioning before about efficiencies. Yeah. Um, again. First and foremost, I wear a business hat, not a coffee hat, <laughs> and and so, right. you know, it was really important early on that I didn't let my personal preference towards specialty coffee impede my thinking about how to help farmers as business people. And so, there are certainly instances where our advice would be: do not produce specialty coffee. Mm. Uh, the kind of changes that you would need to make, and the kind of risk that you would be taking, you know, actually wouldn't wouldn't help you as a coffee producer. So, you know, I, I want to acknowledge that. Part of being, being helpful to the people that we work alongside is not just pushing an agenda, but it's actually seeing people understand the context yeah. and, um, and, and best equip people for what they're best suited to produce. Okay. So uh, I, I just I mean, it's important that I say that. But in terms of specialty, I think the biggest, uh, for me personally, and in, in, in we've, you know, we've got other people on the team, but my role has, has really been to help people understand the cost of production and... It doesn't matter what coffee they choose to produce, whether it's a natural honey wash, you know, mm-hmm. some crazy fermentation or whether it's just basic, you know, premium coffees or commodity coffees, how can I help them understand their cost of production and and, and, run, and run that cost of production, um, you know, in, in, an efficient, in an efficient manner? You know, there's lots of ways to make money. You can sell more product. You can charge a higher True. price. Yeah. You can produce the same product for less. And, and that's that's really been an area that's not that intuitive. It's not that obvious. We often just assume you know farmers know the land, they know the crop, they know how to they know how to produce coffee. And of course, they do know how to produce it technically. But there's a whole lot of uh, you know mechanics around around just the profit metrics or profit mechanics that we I think we've been able to a lot of value
1: um, to farmers just having conversations around the cost of production. That's really interesting. Yeah, especially talking to someone. Who's more of the numbers guy <laughs> and not the coffee guy? So you probably look at it a different coming from from a different viewpoint. So that's really cool. You know, the last few years have had some challenges, as we all know. Um, we're going to pretend 2020 never happened, um, but one unfortunate aspect coming out of that has been supply chain issues. So for you guys on at Origin side, how has that affected you guys uh, the last few years? The supply chain issues, yeah.
0: Yeah, it has, it has been obviously a, a huge event for us as, as well. Look, I think uh, for me, I try to create some context first before I react. Uh,
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: Um, and so as I've, as I've kind of taken a step back and looked at, let's just take even just shipping within the supply chain, right? Yeah. Um, shipping 10 years ago, shipping 20 years ago, actually seeing that the cost of shipping had become a race to the bottom. The prices mm. were so low, and providers are really having to compete just on price, and that's that's actually not a that's not sustainable for many industries. Um, and so, yes, it's been a sudden huge increase in shipping, but actually, I. I think we're seeing somewhat of a correction. You know, you talk to traders that were around 20 years ago, and they're like, oh, mate, you know, this is what it was like before. Like, you guys have only been around 10 years. Like, you've only experienced the good years. Um,
1: <laughs> well, that's interesting. So yeah. I
0: think part, of, part of what we're seeing, I think, is a market correction. Mm. So COVID has kind of triggered some of those corrections which have been much needed. Uh, maybe there's some been some conversation. I hope things will swing back a little bit. But ultimately, rather than trying to avoid the increases or hope the increases change, we're actually adjusting our own business model and encouraging our partners to do likewise.
1: Oh, that's really cool. And see you're actually trying to adjust instead of just hoping wait. <laughs> I like that. That's good. That's good. Right. Um, a couple more things. Um I meant to ask this when we're talking about ethical sourcing, we had our previous podcast was on one of our previous ones was on ethical sourcing and we talked about fair and direct trade and what those differences are. Uh, again, from, from origin side, what is that? What do those two words mean to you when you hear those two things? And maybe you have a better, better word for it. I don't know.
0: Well, for starters, if you ask 10 different people, this question, you're probably going to get 10
1: different Exa- Exactly. So, exactly. Uh, th- thanks for asking me. Um, I, there are certainly people
0: that have just incredible uh, success stories um, around, around fair trade and, and, and what that means. Yeah. Uh, and likewise, there are people who have had terrible experiences. Uh, so I just share my own experience. I think I, I would understand any kind of a certification um, uh, protocol or program to be a to be as strong as its weakest link in the chain, so right. to speak.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, for example, in, in some countries, maybe the integrity of the people on the ground representing the organisation isn't isn't very high. Maybe they're taking they're just taking money to tick boxes. Right. Uh, so, in a situation like that, the certification is practically meaningless. It's no it's no good to lean upon the integrity of the certification when the people representing them on the ground are integrity. So, you know, we've we've we have bumped up against some of that. Also, there has to be some economical, economic sustainability in the program as well. And so to just say to someone, hey, put this sticker on your coffee and you'll get more money, that's not a guarantee of more mm. money at all. No. And some of the ways in which these programs have been promoted amongst local farmers has been, if you pay us all this money, and you make all these changes to your farm, then you'll make more money. And that, that has just proven to be an absolute fallacy. Right. So personally... Whilst I, I, I understand the idea behind it, and maybe there was a period in history when it was actually achieving what it set out to achieve, my personal experience has been uh, quite the opposite. It's been destructive, it's been unreliable, and
1: mm-hmm. farmers have lost a lot of money trying to obtain certificates that really didn't mean a lot for them at all. Gotcha. So you've seen you see better results from having direct partners with roasters and, and coffee shops directly, you would say?
0: Well, talking to my friends for roasters, what i found is that it's the it's the toll roasters who are roasting for government officers or maybe large corporations where yeah someone is requiring them to tick a box and say, hey, we can only buy coffee from you if it's organic. We can only buy
1: you. coffee from yeah. you if it's
0: fair trade. And they're just being forced to tick a box. Mm-hmm. There isn't really a, some, a lot of intrinsic motivation um, to do things right and yeah. to do things relationally. So I've just, you know, we've not... We've just not chased that market. Uh, We've seen the abuse of the certification on the ground, so we're not interested in it. And anyone that that tries to tell us that we have to have this certification um, if we want to do business together, we'll invite them to come and on the ground and check things out yeah uh, but if they're not interested in doing that then we're not
1: interested in um in really working with somebody like that yeah and again another reason why we wanted to partner with you was because of your you know, after talking to you guys and learning about your sourcing and how you did it with excellence and took pride in it and made sure everyone was getting a fair wage and as you say I didn't even think about this, but when you mentioned, um, efficiency, that's just a great way to look at it. So we appreciate what you guys are doing there. Um, lastly, if you, if you may have one or two interesting, funny stories from the farm, share one or two of those, uh, with us.
0: Sure. Oh, look, I think, I think my favorite story, because it, it was, it was a story, a really early story for us. And it kind of, uh, just highlights the enthusiasm and, and, um, uh, the commitment from the team, uh, one of the founders of the company, Tim Hines, back in the day, when we were getting ready to do one of our first exports, somebody asked us, you know, how are you going to protect the coffees? We were like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, these coffees are quite valuable. They're more valuable than the other company coffees lying around. Like, what if someone steals them? Like, well, aren't you going to protect them in the warehouse? Like, it's not our problem. And you know, he literally slept on the coffee oh my goodness whilst, whilst we were waiting for them to be to be exported <laughs> uh you know as, as as time has progressed we've found other ways to, to protect the coffee of course. Like, of course as we've established different relationships that's become less of an issue but i just remember early early days that zeal and that commitment to uh, to make sure the coffee spots were never supposed to be going on. So that was pretty cool
1: i what uh, did he say was it a comfortable <laughs> sleep i don't know i can't imagine <laughs> So per- <laughs> I
0: don't go much, I don't
1: think you much That seems like a yeah, pretty firm yeah. mattress there. Yeah. Well, Josh, we appreciate you ha- having you on, uh, you coming on. Is there anything else you'd like for us or listeners to know about what you guys are doing? I know you do. You guys have a blog on your website. Maybe mention your website, any social, uh, social media handles you have.
0: Yeah, thanks. If more people to follow us on social media, we're really just on Instagram. Yeah, uh, it's Yunnan Coffee Traders. Uh, that's uh, two A's. Coffee Traders,
1: and that's two A's, correct? In Yunnan.
0: Uh, two N's. So it's two N's. Sorry, N A N. Yes, I N's. Yunnan Coffee Traders. Yeah, follow us on Instagram. We we post regular updates of stuff we're doing on the at the mill, community posts, and some educational posts. So that would be great if people follow us there. Um, and I recently spoke at um, the Barista League, the High Density. Oh, okay. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was asked to speak about the journey of coffee in China. There, so any of you, you or listeners that have further interest, I would encourage them to go and check that out. It's it's free. You can get it on YouTube, and it was uh, it was quite a good session, I think.
1: Awesome, well, Joshua. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it, and um, hope yeah. you have a great night in uh, Thailand. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, we appreciate you guys too. Thanks for having us on. Take care.
1: Have a good day.